Welcome to our latest episode of the Time of the Month podcast. And if you are new to this series, this is the space where we talk about the women in the Bible, the well-known women, the much-loved women, the forgotten women, and the nameless women. All of these women. And I'm Laura. And I am one of your hosts of this podcast. And today I'm joined by my co-host, Linda Pollock. And we also have our guest for this month, Christopher Rowe, who is a minister at Colston Milton Parish Church in Glasgow. So Linda, hello, we'll come to you first. So we will. How have things been with you since we last spoke? Well, Laura, it's been such a long time since we were on this podcast, and I've even had a week's holiday in Northern Ireland, where it would have melted you. That's what we say in Belfast, if you're hot, sure it would melt you, <laughs> if you're an ice pop. And it was 32 degrees, and I honestly didn't <gasps> thought I was going to die. It was awful, but it was wonderful to be with loved ones and just have a good time, you know, nice food, nice friends, nice family, and have a carry on. And apart from that, I've just been working and getting on with it. And my plants, my veggies, I can't believe it. I got some feed for them. And the veg, the, the courgettes are about, what's that, three inches oh, long. Oh, fabulous. Maybe four times that soon. My radishes are up already. And they're they're like almost apple size and they're fantastic. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm enjoying learning to grow things. I'm enjoying... The beautiful weather we're having up in the northeast at the minute and then pretty content with life yeah oh that's wonderful we'll see this is the thing isn't it this is the time where you know we've been able to slow down just a wee bit and be able to take a wee bit of time you know for you know to, for ourselves well if we have you know and it's great that you've been able to um get away and get a wee break and also, you know, I just find see being in the garden, being in the garden is just amazing, isn't it? Just being in God's creation. It's new to me. Um, it's new to me. But Christopher's beautiful wife is the person I would say that I've met in all my life who connects with God through growing, Aww. through the garden. And she's the best gardener I've ever met. And she was giving me wee hints about my raised beds. Um, and I, I, I can't wait for her to see what I've what I'll produce. Um, so Angela's an amazing woman, not to diminish Christopher in any way, shape or form. He's an amazing man too. And he's lucky he's invited. He's only one other man's been invited to this podcast, Christopher. I am <laughs> very honoured. <laughs> so Christopher, um, we're so, so happy that you can join us today for, for this edition of the podcast. So could you tell our listeners a wee bit about yourself? Um, I can try. So I think, as you said at the beginning, I'm a Church Scotland parish minister, and I minister in a place called Milton in the north of Glasgow, which the church calls a priority area. So it's quite a poor community. Um, I have four children. The oldest has just started at secondary school last week, and the younger three are all in primary school. And my beautiful wife, Angela, works in a community garden. And so gardening is definitely a big thing. We've got a lovely garden here. I can look out the window. The sun is shining in Glasgow at the moment. Um, and we have two ducks. Oh, who, uh, fabulous. Who, they say that you can never have too many slugs in your garden, just not enough ducks. So we have two <laughs> ducks who eat, um, eat up the slugs and snails in the garden. So as the veg comes to us and not to them. 
Um, I'm also an army reserve chaplain, so I'm a padre in the army part-time and have been for the last 13 years, the same time I've been here in Milton. Um, and we're not that long back from our holiday in the Western Isles in South Uist, which is one of our favourite places in the world. We just love the Hebrides, the quiet, um, South Uist especially, it seems quite undiscovered compared to some other places and it's just a joy to be up there. So we, we really enjoyed our visit up there. Oh, fantastic. Thank you so much, Christopher. Um, and we're really looking forward to hearing um, what you've got to say about our topic today. And so this month's discussion is A Nameless Woman from the Book of Judges. And we know her as Jephthah's daughter. So Linda, can you give us a wee brief overview of Jephthah and his daughter? Yes, uh, this story is in Judges chapter 11 through to Judges chapter 12. It's well worth a good look. But basically, Jephthah is the son of a prostitute and someone named Gilead. Now, there's some textual concerns around the name Gilead, but that's for another day. And basically, Gilead dies and his other sons, who have a different mother, basically kick Jephthah out. Um, and then they have to come crawling to him because... When they kick him out, he becomes a great bandit, a, a robber with great prowess and skill. And he has a, he's gathered around himself a wee, uh, I suppose, group of bandits. And the Ammonites are really annoyed with Israel because they feel that Moses, or Joshua, sorry, stole the land from them a long time ago, 300 years ago, I can't remember which. Mm -hmm. And so the Ammonites want to make war on, on Gilead. But Gilead on, yeah, on the Israelites. So the Israelites go to Jephthah and say, look, go and come back and be our leader. And if you be our leader and, and kick their rear ends into oblivion, then you can be our, our head. So Jephthah, of course, was rejected. Now he's been brought back into the fold with the promise of leadership. So Jephthah says, right, okay, um, if you promise me this leadership, if I win, then so be it. But then Jephthah, it's curious, interesting what the text says, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and then he made a vow to God saying, if you give me the victory, after he sent off a letter to the king of the Ammonites saying, basically, come on, you have no right with me, why are you starting to, to fight and argue? And the Ammonites, of course, tell the big story and you took our land. It's great, 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 interesting stuff about land as well and how it's filtered through to this very day in, yeah. in the Holy Land. So the Ammonites basically saying that we're going to fight you. And then the spirit of the Lord comes upon Jephthah. He then makes a vow to the Lord and basically says, I will uh, sacrifice to you the first, actually the word is whoever, and it can be read as whatever, comes out the door to greet me upon my return after victory. So of course he has the victory and then he comes home and his daughter comes running out to greet him and he grabs a hold of her. And I find it fascinating. That I'm gonna read the text actually. Um, he said, she says, he says to her, um, where are we? Sorry, I'm not gonna read the text because it'll take me too long to find it. But basically what it says is, Jephthah says, you, you, he blames her, mm -hmm. have broken my heart because and now I have to sacrifice you. And what does the wee girl say to him? She says, well, do what you have to do, Dad. But just give me a chance for two months. Let me go off into the mountains and mourn the fact that I'm going to die a virgin. Um, so she goes off with her, her girlfriends into the mountains and comes back two months later 
and he does as he had to do. He makes a sacrifice. He sets her aflame. Now, it doesn't actually say that and he sets her on fire in the text, but that's the presumption. And you know about presumptions. So yes. that's, the, that's it in a nutshell. Well, that's uh, this is what we're going to. Uh, we we don't we don't presume on here. We like to we like to explore and um, investigate the text. So this is so a lot of people do have um, they struggle with this, you know, especially yeah. with what happens um, to the to to Jephthah's daughter. So Christopher, I'll come over to you um, first and see what your initial thoughts are on this text. Um, I guess my initial thought is that it reminds me of another story that I'd heard and I was desperately trying to find which one it was where I'm sure it was a, a folk tale where I'd heard where something similar that a, you know, a returning warrior or father figure who makes this foolish vow, presuming that the first thing that's going to come out of his house isn't going to be his daughter, but, you know, something like a, a dog or a cat or something that is not nearly as significant to him. Um, and, I, and I guess I'm curious as to whether that is where it, where it came from. I suppose I, I, I hate the thought that this story is in any way real. I guess I really struggle to believe that it is somehow true. Um, and therefore, I wonder where it might have come from. Um, and then why is it included? Um, because it it doesn't really um, draw lessons from it other than, um, so there arose an Israelite custom that for four days every year, the daughters of Israel would go out to lament the daughter of Jephthah the Gileadite. So it's sort of, it's presented with us as being an explanation for why it is that there is this custom in Israel. And um, I guess I'm always curious about those, whether that, whether that is um, a true origin of that, or if it's something that, you know, folk have come up with. Here's a story that we've come up with to explain something that we don't really know the answer to, but here's a kind of plausible one that we've come up with that is a sort of motif in folk tales. Certainly there's, there's a, Greek, a Greek myth about Idomeneus and his son, where Idomeneus is returning from the wars and they look like their ship is going to get shipwrecked. Um, and so he makes this vow to the god Poseidon, the god of the sea, that he would sacrifice his son um, if they get home alive, which they do. He then sacrifices his son. Um, but in the Greek story, the gods are then displeased because they say this is ridiculous that you should have offered to sacrifice your son to save your own skin. Um, and he's punished for it. So mm -hmm. um, I find it a very strange story, I have to say. Um, yeah. Uh huh. I I know myself. I find it I find it really troubling, and and I do um I struggle to find um like where God is in this and what the lesson is. I was Linda. You well. You you've studied Hebrew, haven't you, Linda? So long time ago. <laughs> well, I, I had I had in my you know research for this today. I had came across um a wee bit where they had said that um, uh, whenever um, Jephthah is speaking to, to God directly, 
you know, it's um, the language, like the words used could be like, if you will really, really give, you know, if you will really give this, then I will. Um, so it's as if like there's perhaps maybe this is like maybe pushing it a wee bit too hard, wanting there to be something else. Uh-huh. But perhaps it's like he's doubting, you know, so he doesn't think God's going to give him the victory. So he's making this... Um, Extreme uh, vow, no uh-huh. one given the victory. Uh-huh. I don't know, my Hebrew is, is absolutely rubbish. Interestingly, I remember the swear words and the, the curiosities <laughs> in the Hebrew rather than the actual uh, text itself. Um, I think it's very easy for us to want to harmonize a text that's uncomfortable and mm-hmm. want to justify it. Um, and, and one of the, the things that I was reading was that it was included because the authors wanted to reflect the depravity of Israel. Um, that they were involved in child sacrifice and thought that that was acceptable. Um, and then, you know, they, the, this commentator talked about Abraham and Isaac and how the sacrifice was in the story according to God, so God provided the ram. But because mm-hmm. the sacrifice wasn't of God, it was, of this, it, was of, it was because of Jephthah's desire to be the leader, having been rejected, now he's brought back into the fold as a great warrior. Um, so that's why... Um, the vow wasn't broken that's why but can you imagine for one second when we read from beginning to end of scripture about how God adores children and how he includes children left right and center can you think for one second that God would be pleased with that kind of sacrifice I don't that's that's the thing isn't it that's what you said and you're like you're baffled at because you're like yeah well why 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 is this included why my my friend Anne in America she I was talking to her about this and she said oh they made a mistake. They shouldn't have included this in the Bible. <laughs> uh, well, you know, maybe. Uh-huh. Maybe because, I mean, there's other books that haven't been included in the canon of Scripture um, that we would possibly want to include. And then, of course, Martin Luther said he, Hebrews shouldn't be in the New Testament. <laughs> so it's, it's curious, but I, I just can't get past. It might also be because the recklessness of his leadership and it was only six years he was a judge for um, but this reckless leadership of him and the recklessness of the Israelites and asking him to be their leader um, may have been a wee tip of the hat to say look we need a monarch I know to justify in hindsight to say look at how the judges were raised by God according to the scripture um, but I mean look at Samson he was a naughty naughty judge wasn't I and yes he was know, indeed yes other leaders have been naughty and uh-huh so on and so forth the, the scripture says God raised up um mm-hmm. but I think it's just about I think it's about using all that God gives us um in our intellect all that God gives us by the spirit of God and by the community of, of God's people the communion of saints and using all that we have to try and understand what the scriptures are about and what we should you know, look at what we should maybe hold as as truth, and because mm-hmm. I can't for one second. I mean, sacrifice. You know, David says a broken spirit or a contrite spirit is what God requires, and elsewhere in the Psalms, a, a spirit of thanksgiving is what God requires as a sacrifice. You know, um, so I can't think for one second that sacrificing your child. Do you think it? Um... Do you think, and this is for, for, for both of you, do you think it was um, like an actual um, like sacrifice of death 
Or do you think, as like some of the commentators have tried to say, was more, you know, that, you know, she wasn't going to be able to get married and have a life and things like that. That was the sacrifice. Um, and also, just while I'm like on a wee roll here, I'm thinking, what actually would be um, <laughs> like, what would be acceptable to come out the door? You know, so if, you know, he's he's unhappy that it's his daughter, but what would he have been happy? Well, like, what if it was a mother or, you know, a servant? Would, would that have been okay? <laughs> you know? Yeah, one of the commentators I was reading said that he expected an animal to come out because animals are kept indoors. I don't know. Because, like, Bill, I find that, um, I don't know, I find that quite strange because to me it'd be a human that would come out first. They'd be like... Oh, there he's coming! He's coming! Oh, oh, we'll need to celebrate! That, oh, that's that, great! He's coming back. <laughs> is that not the practice in Israel? I yeah. Mean, in this in one Samuel, it talks about the women coming out to greet the warriors and rejoicing. Would yeah. he not have expected that? He knew his history. Uh huh. I mean, he was able to tell the king of the Ammonites the history of Israel. Surely he would have known that the women would come out to greet him. Mm-hmm. That's what yeah. I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would have, uh-huh. I, to answer your first bit, I, I can't think that there is a softening of it. I think you either accept it as being, it is an aberration rather than trying to explain it away and soften the edges. Um, yeah. I, I suppose in any of these situations of sacrifice uh, and indeed, you know, looking at the sweep, sweep of scriptures, I think it reflects people's understanding of God rather than God's um, understanding of people I, I, I see nowhere in this even the claim that God asked for this you know God comes in for the criticism for accepting it but who who says that God accepted it who said that Jephthah in any way um, did anything that was pleasing in yeah. God's sight and so I suppose I'm always skeptical when when I read anywhere in the Bible it says God told me to God says yeah. this um, yeah the spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah um, well, what does that look like? You know, in other parts of the Bible, the spirit of the Lord descending on Saul, for instance, um, we might have viewed that as you know, insanity or mental illness. You know, mm-hmm. God comes in for a lot of yeah, yeah. explanationary power in the Old Testament, I guess, because that is the way people explained lots of things. But to me, it seems more likely looking at looking at Jephthah's story, um, you know, in modern terms, he's maybe had lots of adverse childhood experiences. He sounds like he's on the edge of society. He's been outcast. He's now got the chance to be the, the big man. And he comes back and is pleased at this. And he's maybe just um, not in the least bit connected to God. Um, and that he comes up with this stupid, rash um, statement that, you know, I'll do this, you know. To me, I'm intrigued as to why he even made the vow. You know, he's been told, you know, the spirit of the Lord is, is, is on him. He's victorious. And then almost, and so often you see this in the New Testament, in the Old Testament, isn't it? It's like, you know, you've already got what you're after, but let me just do something extra. So, you know, you've given it to me, but now just in case, if you give me the victory, it's like, well, have I not already given you the victory? Why are you, why are you adding further? Um I suppose the other thought often we're told that um, 
you know, women and children are possessions and property and that children are worth nothing. You know, part of Jesus' teaching was so counter-cultural because actually mm. people didn't have the same, we're told, didn't have the same regard for children that we do now that, you know, they, they didn't exist. Women didn't exist as legal personalities. So it's strange in that sense that um, perhaps even that he's so upset to be mm. killing his his female child, who in lots of aspects might not be viewed as being terribly important at all. So maybe strangely, it's a way of trying to explain how Jephthah did have an affection for his daughter in a way that I, I remember reading a horrendous account of, you know, women growing up in the northwest province of Pakistan, where, you know, extreme Islamist rule, you know, not unlike the Taliban takes place. And just this account of a stoning of a daughter, you know, and, and the father is the one who casts the, the stones. Um, they're invited. They, they, in, in this telling, um, they're always asked, would you like to be merciful to your daughter? And the answer invariably, for whatever reason, whether it's the, the social pressure, the religious pressure, is, you know, no, she's brought shame on our household and the only way to get rid of that shame is to stone her to death. Mm -hmm. And so fathers routinely in some parts of the world kill their own children, murder their daughters in order to, whatever, not lose face or because they genuinely somehow believe that there is shame attached to having eloped with a boyfriend or had sex outside, not even sex, probably had a kiss, held hands, mm -hmm. left the house without a man beside them. Mm -hmm. um, and so in that sense, this is an eminently realistic story. It doesn't, it doesn't even need anything as significant as saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna gain a victory over the Lord's enemies and be great. It can, you know, women are still sacrificed by their fathers for crazy principles um, and maybe that's part of the reason it's in there still just simply to say this is real you know the world is a horrible place at times don't be reading this in any way as an encouragement just let the pain and the shame of it sit with you and make you react against it and say no this is this is not God's will. Mm. You know, e even within the story, while it doesn't explicitly condemn it, it arises because for four days every year, the daughters of Israel go to lament. So they must, within their own day, have recognised that this was not the way things were meant to be. And still, they do still do that in the month of Tevet, which is December, January. We still do that to this day in some Orthodox communities. They lament Jephthah's daughter dying a virgin, which I have to laugh at. <laughs> well, did it, they, they didn't lament that the poor soul died, or the poor soul had no life, but that she died a virgin. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. It tells you what they think the purpose of women um, mm -hmm. really, really is. I mean, and she wasn't even a woman. She was, I mean, according to the, the, the texts I was reading, the minute the, the girl starts to menstruate, then she's eligible for marriage. And that can be as young as 10 or 11 or 12, you know? Um, so she's often married or engaged anyway. Mm -hmm. um, 
So the purpose is primarily as a, a breeding machine, um, as opposed to, I mean, as opposed to being a, a beloved daughter of God and, and living life to the full um, and taking on responsibilities and so on and so forth. But one of the things that I was curious about was where was our mummy? Yeah, How did I wonder if stand up and say, hey, get yeah. you yourself hunted. You're not going to kill that child of ours. Or, or where was Phineas, the high priest of the time? Mm-hmm. He could have annulled it. He could have annulled the vow. Uh-huh. But, uh, he didn't. So why was Phineas not involved in saying, Jephthah, you've been released from this vow? Why did he think? And Phineas was a good guy. Yeah, it's it just it doesn't um it it really does it doesn't make a lot of sense, you know, and that's the thing. It really um it doesn't make a lot of sense because Ali as well, I thought, where, where are the people to speak up for her? Where's the rest of the family? Where are the and where are you know, where's the priests to say, yeah. come on, this this isn't allowed, you know, this isn't allowed. We don't we don't allow child sacrifice because that's what the you know they, they would have done the other gods, you know, from the other, yeah. you know, the yeah. other areas, but but not the Israelites. Yeah. And it's um, but then it, it and it did make me think as well of um, Isaac, but again, I did think that um, Abraham got that wrong as well. You know, yeah. I thought that he had heard that wrong. He wasn't getting that message right, yeah. and that's why God stepped in because it's like, no, I don't want you to do this. So why did God not save Jephthah's daughter? Yeah. Why did the spirit of the Lord not come upon Jephthah when he, he greeted the wee girl at the door and say, "Oh, you're off, you're off the hook. You don't have to make that vow." Well, that's because I think I don't think the spirit of the Lord was with him at all. You know, the whole time, and uh, and perhaps the spirit of the Lord did try, but again, he just wasn't listening. Yeah. You know, it's, um, I think it's real. Sorry. And you know, thinking about. Um, you know, if he's won all these battles, you know, and I think as well about what Christopher said about perhaps where he's came from, you know, the kind of childhood he's had, he's been on the fringes, and you think, here's a guy that's came up and actually probably now believes his own hype. <laughs> you know, yeah. he is the man, you know, and it's like, oh, no, no, I've got to do it. And mm-hmm. perhaps he wasn't listening to any reason at all. And I find it interesting that they want a warrior for a king, mm-hmm. as opposed to a man with wisdom, or a man with some other, you know, great skill or compassion or whatever. But uh, he certainly had no compassion for his daughter. No, no, and I think it's I think um, I was I was hoping that you know that we would maybe be able maybe you know make some sense of this. <laughs> Um, but I, I think perhaps it is there for the reason to actually to make us think oh. and to question people's motives and actually to question where God is actually in, you know, in life in general, like where is God acting um, and who, who's, who, yeah. you know, what, who's, who's acting for God. And I think that's something that we've got to be really careful of, especially in the church, when, when folks stand up, regardless of their, their status or label or, or title, um, when they invoke God and say, God has told me, or God says, or you've got to be really smart and wise about that. And, you know, pay attention 
to these sorts of stories. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and I think it's I, I don't know, but I, I I think that Jeff only had six years as a judge, and and I wonder was would he think it was worth the sacrifice to be the leader for six years? And I wonder how many ministers have sacrificed their family lives for their for and this is where I struggle with people say, well, my ministry, my minister. The ministry is God's ministry. We're invited to participate. Um, and I wonder how many families have been sacrificed on the altar of my ministry and thinking they're pleasing God when they, they don't even, you know, I've seen this, so many clergy kids who are totally screwed up and bitter and angry because their parent or parents was a minister, were ministers or church leaders. And I think it's really, really important for all of us in the church to be uh, very aware of children who are put in the position of being sacrificed. It doesn't have just has doesn't always just have to be in the church. Lots of kids are sacrificed to their parents' careers or their parents' field ambitions um, in various fields. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I, I read recently actually I can't I can't remember um, his name, but it was an American it was an American pastor. And his book was, oh, it was, oh, he really made himself vulnerable. He really went on a journey um, because, you know, he thought he was doing this great ministry, you know, but his his wife was oh, so unhappy. His children were so unhappy. And it really took um, some serious things happening within his life for him actually to... Um, take a step back and really think actually this I'm not I'm not being a man of God um you know if I'm and he knew he was sacrificing his family then you know and it was actually changing he had to change how he was as a man um after that yeah yeah I don't think for one minute that God requires our children uh, to be sacrificed uh in Jeff Jeff's time or even in our time um, I mean, the rabbis write a lot about about Jephthah, and they they call him irresponsible and ostentatious, and he really shouldn't have made that that vow. Um, so it's, it's interesting to hear even what the rabbis are saying about him. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, I think we'll have, uh, I think we'll move on because we've kind of started to move, shift into thinking about more modern, um, modern um, takes on, um, you know, this, this story, unless there's anything else she's actually want to say specifically about Jephthah's daughter. To note, isn't it, that she, she, like so many women, is nameless, you know. She's still Jephthah's daughter, um, even though she has this, um, even to this day, ongoing memorialization, perhaps, Mm -hmm. of what happened to her. Intriguing that she still isn't graced with a name in our pages. Well, why don't we call her Grace? One of the things that that I think about when I read this story is she was a youngster um, and Yet she was willing to give her life for the sake of a religious vow that her father made. And it tells me that this child um, was a religious person herself. A person, I don't want like the word religious, but she was a person who knew something of God. 
and she didn't want to risk her father um, breaking his vow. And that speaks volumes to me. You know? Yeah. And actually, I think that's, I think that actually speaks powerfully into like our own times as well, because I don't think we actually take the spirituality and the connection that young people and children have with God, yeah. you know, seriously enough. Yes. Um, and that's something I think we have to be looking at more um, within all churches, actually. Yeah. And your comment there, Linda, really does, I mean, A, it really resonates yeah, with, with four still young children, three daughters, just how loving children are yeah. and what they are prepared to yeah. to give and actually that yeah that, that has just opened my eyes to her her conversation you know dad if you've opened your mouth to the lord then do to me according to what's gone out of your mouth you know i can just see it, it reminds me a bit of a a story of you know a child who um was asked to be a a blood donor for their twin because they shared the same blood group um a very unusual and, and no one had really explained to this child what was going to happen, but they willingly agreed and they were in the hospital and they sat there um, and then they saw that this child was welling up and, and the, the nurse said, you know, is everything okay? And she said, yeah, I'm just wondering when, when do I die? Oh. You know, I've, I've given my life for my sibling and said, no, 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 we're not asking that of you. You know, we're just asking... But this child had been had been willing to do that. Had to ask the question: You know, would you be prepared to, you know, give your blood? And and in that child's mind, they thought they were being asked to to swap. Yeah. Wow. Um, and how, as a child, you know that that is often something you'd be willing to do. So yes, this great love of a daughter who says, "Well, if you've if you've made that promise, Dad, then um, I'll I'll support you in that." Um, yeah. And I suppose how that, again, feeds into other situations of abuse where children are, are the love that they have for their parents mean they can't believe that mum or dad would do something bad or wrong to us. It must be it must be me who's at fault. You know, yes, yes. I've I've caused you great trouble, dad. I'm so sorry. Let me show how I can fix it. And um, and again, how that is not the that is not. The wide sweep of scripture that I understand that mm. instead it's that. And um, one of what I keep by my my armchair um, is a card that one of Christopher's children made for me, um, his youngest Fion, and it's a gold card and a bit sparkly, and there's a picture, but you have to turn it to the light to see the picture that she's drawn, and it's a picture that she's drawn of God, and at the top she's written God. And the bottom BFF, best friends forever. And I, oh. I I could weep when I talk about that because her understanding of God frames my understanding. And if I think we have got to be paying more attention to our children and their understanding and their wisdom and their immense capacity for love and how they love God beyond anything you and I'll ever be able to experience as adults um, so I, I, part of me is glad the stories in the bible um, only because of that one thing because jeff's daughter shows us what it is to love 
And I, I just think that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh, <laughs> getting a wee bit emotional here. <laughs> Oh, so we'll have, um, we've got a few things to talk about, um, about our modern, um, mm. our modern issues that affect women. And I think the most, prob- well, the most um, pressing one at the moment has got to be um, Afghanistan mm. and what's, well, what's going to happen to women now who are um, in Afghanistan um, under the Taliban I've seen you know the reports where actually I read today that actually women have just been told that they've to stay in the house for their own safety that's what they've been told and there was ones going out you know before if they were you know taken out you know like even if they were saying you know they, they were, had to have their, their burkas on mm. but you know like to go out with a young boy you know like a neighbour's boy is actually of more worth, you know. You know, if you, I will, you can go out, but you need to take that wee child with you, that wee boy. Yeah. Like, oh, and what actually, I think what upset me the most about this whole situation was when I read, um, was it last week or the week before? I had read something about that um, Joe Biden had said about because his son um, was in the military, and I think he had said um, quite a few years ago that. You know, he didn't want his son um, going out to fight in Afghanistan for women's rights, you know. Yeah. And uh, and he has been, he's actually been for a wee while, like, wanting, you know, to bring the soldiers back home. But I feel it's not just the women that are being sacrificed out there. To me, it's like everybody's been sacrificed, mm. you know, and for, for what? And even the people who have like died over the years, you know, to try and bring bring stability. You know, the Americans, the the British, actually people from all around the world, you know, soldiers from all around the world. It's like all this sacrifice, but for what? You know. Well, I mean, God forgive me, but I think we should never have gone there in the first place, ever. We should never have gone to Iran, um, Iraq rather, and and I think a, a, a big part of it is about satisfying George H. Bush um, and his defeat and then George W. Bush getting in to help his daddy when he became president to redeem his daddy's nonsense and then Tony Blair going in again you know and and I think it's easy for us to to blame Joe Biden Um, but I think that this goes further back and we have we should never have been interfering there in the first place I guarantee if that was going on in say Austria where there's no oil and, and you know yes that would have been such a big issue but mm-hmm. i mean I it's a right mess and i don't know what the what we what the alternative would have been how long would you have stayed there how long would the troops have had to stay there i think they could have could manage and could have managed the, the exit better and 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 ensured i mean exits for for people who have you know obviously been helping the british and american forces and other forces I think there could have been an easier and a better, better, better way. I don't know how you sort out the Sharia, Sharia law and how women are going to be treated. It's it's their country, it's their people, um, and I know that sounds awful. I mean, we we shouldn't should we have interfered then if that's the case with the Holocaust? And of course, yes is the answer. And the answer is yes. We always want to try and help people, but I I think there's so much more to this than just 
troops can end up to bring peace. There's so much more to it. The Russians failed miserably when they went to Afghanistan. Um, and the right was on the wall when the Americans went in and the British went in. But Christopher, you're an army chaplain, reserve chaplain. Yeah. Maybe, maybe you would have some wonderful insight to share with us, please. I'm not sure I do, other than the, the recognition that probably all of the um, moral confusion and anxiety and churned upness that your feeling is probably shared and magnified by many who've served there, who've lost friends there, who've given up a chunk of their own life or limbs. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's that incredibly difficult situation of probably alone in recent Western military intervention, you, you hear, you know, female NGOs speaking in praise of a Western military intervention um yeah. but that doesn't make it any less problematic that you uh, you know we we don't probably have sufficient either interest or right to run someone else's yeah. country for them and there's just a really really difficult point at which you say well how, how do we best um spread you know values that we we think are universal um but which plenty of parts of the world would say are, are your cultural values being imposed on our cultural values um and that again is really hard especially on a on a podcast like this where it involves you know women's rights but fact is that in afghanistan probably a majority of people are more in line with the kind of teaching that the Taliban have brought in. I mean, the, yeah. the realism says mm -hmm. that part of the, you know, the withdrawal agreement um, was, I don't think anyone expected the collapse to be as imminent as it was. And I think part of the reason for that is that people have underestimated the, the Taliban's ability to, not just to fight, but to negotiate and to appeal to village elders. And again, yeah. we need to, we need to accept that um, in many places, the Afghan government that we were supporting and underwriting with, you know, money and boots on the ground um, has failed miserably yeah. to, to spread the kind of society that, that we hoped that they would. And so that many people are probably looking at the Taliban and saying, well, you will deliver us justice and you'll deliver us security. Um, yeah. And I don't know any easy answers other than that I, I know that there will be soldiers who will be similarly cut up, um, particularly at, at what appears to be the, you know, the abandonment of people who have worked alongside us who are now at, at yep. great risk. Um, and I saw an interesting um, post from a journalist called Jane Ferguson, um, who was commenting from Kabul. Um, and she said this, she said, uh, you know, the, talking about the British military, sort of their, their levels of toughness, professionalism, and rare in war times, I must say, compassion. 
I've been moved to tears by their actions, diving into dangerous crowds to pull visa holders into the base, guarding sleeping women and children. And he says, they're strict about being filmed, so I don't have many pics and videos, sadly, but plenty of notes. We want to help people too, one of them told me when I thanked him. And I suppose as an army chaplain, for me, my often my, my bias, my interest is in the welfare of soldiers and this sense that they can often be, you know, either put up on pedestals as being heroes when they're nothing of the sort, or they can be vilified as being, you know, rapists and violent when most of them aren't either. And instead, situations like this draw out that human response of compassion. And so you've got young soldiers doing their level best, thinking this is all wrong. We can see what's happening. We want to rescue these people as much as anyone with a heart in them does um, and doing their best. And so I suppose in some ways my... My heart goes to them as much as to others because I guess they're the ones that I can identify most with and I can see that they're in a completely thankless and impossible situation because there is going to be a time when the, the last plane will take off and they will know that they're leaving people who they have built up a relationship with to face whatever the future holds. Um, and it is a really, really worrying time. I'm not sure how you avoid the conclusion that says it's not it's not our place and if anything 20 years have shown yeah. that we've not actually achieved a great deal um, because it all fell apart so quickly um, mm -hmm. yeah um, I think we just have to keep our eyes open and our ears open and, and look for opportunities um, that may arise and, and may not arise, but my hope is that with the, the Sharia law, that at least the children, the girls will be allowed to be given some education. The female TV anchors are back on screen. Um, female reporters are still are back out on the streets reporting. And hopefully, hopefully the negotiations with the, the new government, um, the Taliban government will be held up Hopefully their promises will be held and hopefully and there'll be another, I mean, the way we've understood and evolved our understanding of God and scripture, we, we hope and pray that, I mean, the, the children of Israel wouldn't sacrifice their children nowadays and yet their ancient texts say they did. So my hope is that the understanding of that particular form of Islam will evolve and grow and it might not, it won't be in our lifetime probably, but maybe in our our great great grandchildren's lifetime, mm -hmm. the little girls will be as valued as the little boys, so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. And I think to to be able to look for me with that same skeptical lens that looks in the Old Testament, looks in the New Testament, looks at current Christian practice and any religion, and when people say God says, yeah. to just question that and to say really, yeah, really, yeah. Um, and I understand why that causes people anxiety because it seems like you're you're moving away from a firm foundation and where where is the where is the truth then if you can't trust what that says? But I think the sad reality is is that the limitedness and the blinkeredness of hard and fast and black and white and God said mm -hmm. is is regimes that we are now looking at in Kabul with with great anxiety mm. because. Um, we don't actually hold that God said 
sacrifice your daughter Jephthah and we don't hold to the view that says God says you should remain in your house because you're not safe to walk on the streets and you need to be covered up and you're not allowed to be educated um, and that, as you say I think that is a It's an evolving relationship with God. And I think Linda is right that I think that Islam will be going through its own um, reformations and its own changes in understanding. And we just have to recognize that it wasn't so long ago that we were burning people at the stake and doing all sorts of hideous things in the name of religion. Um, Women weren't allowed to minister. <laughs> yes, very true. Yeah. Very true. Oh, well, we've had such a very rich discussion today. Thank you both for um, for for all that you've contributed today. Um, and we will um, we will be back in another month's time. So we will. We haven't yet decided um, on what we're on the topic, but uh, you can be assured it will be a, a, another rich one um, so thank you Linda thank you pleasure it's good to be with you and Christopher it's good to see you both and thank you Christopher for joining with us today well thank you for having me thank you and thank you everyone for listening and we will look forward to joining you all again next month so bye for now bye